Okay. So without further ado, Eric Bet of Shmuel Aleph. We're going to dedicate today's learning to Fur Shlema and Peira, to the Borbas Rachel, our alum, who's actually right now going into surgery uh, amongst Sochshar for Israel, of which there are unfortunately too many, and Reverend Karlinski would like to lead a, a paratillum. So you go ahead, Ruthie. Can you do that? Yeah. Okay. So I guess we will do um, Parak Lamed. Good. Okay. Um, Lamed or Lamed? Um, Shivate Lechavat Terpaini, that one. Okay, good. Okay. okay. So I'll say one line and you can repeat after me. Okay. We're fortunately Adonai Adonai Elohai Vati Elohamatir Paeni. Adonai Helita Min Shol Nafshi Hitani Mior Dibor. Adonai Helita Min Shol Nafshi Hitani Mior Dibor. Dibor. Zamru Ladonai Hasidav Veldu Lezechar Kotcho. Zamru Ladonai. Um, don't have the text in front. Okay, okay, I'll say it. I'll say it for everyone. I'm sorry. Vani Amarti Bishalvi Bal Emot Leulam Adenoi Birtsoncha Hemadita Lahari Oz. He start panecha hayiti nivhal. Elecha adonoi ekra ve'el adonoi et schanan. Ma betza bedami berideti el shachat hayodcha afar hayagid amitecha. Shma adonoi v'chaneni adonoi heye ozer li. Hafachta mispedi lemachol li pitachta saki v'tazreni simcha. Laman is a mercha kavod, veloidom, adonai elohai, veolam odeka. We should hear only good news. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so we're continuing Mishmul Aleph. We're going to Perak Bet. Perak Aleph was this beautiful story of Hannah and the prayer that she prayed. And we learned so much about tefillah from Hannah. We hope that everyone's tefillah will be answered. And at the end of Perak Aleph, Hannah has her child, her Shmuel, and she brings him up to Ailey, to Shiloh, and Ailey's going to raise the child. Perak Bet, we move along in the story. 
Peric bed can be divided into three parts. If you take a look at the screen share here, the first paragraph that you see in this particular edition is the Shirat Chana. In, in a certain sense, this actually belongs in Perak Aleph because it's the culmination of her happiness. I'm going to talk about it. The second part, the second, you see this, it's divided into three paragraphs, basically, from um, Pasuk Yid Aleph till Pasuk Chavav. This is a section which has a contrast, a sort of counterpoint between Shmuel growing up as a surrogate son of Eli and improving and get becoming greater and greater as time goes by. And the downside is Eli's actual sons, Hafni and Pinchas, and the things that they do. There's a kind of counterpoint that I'll show you. And the third part, which starts in Basakhabzayan, you'll see it's divided up very neatly, is the uh, the prophecy of the Ishalokim that Hazal say is uh, Elkanah, Shmuel's father. And he comes to bring a very terrible prophecy of doom to the house of Eli. So there's a lot of highs and lows in this parak, a lot of stuff. Okay, so we're going to time on sheer... Uh -oh. I don't actually know what happened here. I am supposed to be screen sharing. Everything closed. actually know what happened there. Okay. Okay, so uh, we're going to work with this. I really have everything all. I'm sorry, bear with me a second. I'm on a very tiny little laptop. And have to restore that window. Oh, Hashem, there we go. Okay. So the Shira of Hana is 10 psukim long. And in a certain sense, in a certain sense, the um, the it's called a Shira, and a Shira is usually a very um, poetic form of writing, and it's much more difficult. And in the case of Hana, I don't want to lose all of these tabs for the Shira tab. Okay. Sorry, technical difficulties. 
Here, there we go. Okay. So Shirat Chana is different than Tfilat Chana. And we look at the text, the text says Vatit Palel Chana. So what happens with this is that it really is a Shira in the sense that, you know, uh, as Yashir is, in the sense that Shira Tavora is, but it's called Tfit Vatit Palel Chana. And that's another thing we learn from Chana about prayer. And if you look at the structure of this tefillah, we have we have ten, nine psukim, ten psukim in all, nine psukim that are actually praise of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So we know that in tefillah we have three parts. The first part is praise. The second part is the request, and the third part is thanks. That's the way the Shmona Esrei structure. That's the way the whole davening is structured. And Hana follows that pattern. In this case. The thanks and the and the um, praise are rolled in together, and the last pasuk pasuk yud. It's understood by uh, most of the farshim that pasuk yud is actually her request, and the rest of this is really a tefillah in a certain sense. Now, <clears throat> the shira can be understood on three different levels, and this is the, the sheet that I prepared here. And the first is the pshat of Chana. And her individual story, and the second level is a, is, a, is a higher level, and that is how she sees God running the world. And the third and highest level is a level of prophecy, and that's the level of the the uh, Targum Yonatan, the Aramaic translation, which is not really a translation; it's definitely interpretation. And if you take a look at the chart that I prepared, the shot of Hana as an individual, that's a simple man. The second level is how God runs the world. And that's based on the Radak in, in verse five. A man who is more than his own little island, he becomes aware of how the whole world runs. And the third is actually a prophecy of the entire sweep of Jewish history, which is it's quite amazing. Because there's a very long chapter, there's a lot of stuff here. Pasuk Aleph. But it's Palel Chana Batomar. Alatz Livi Bashem, Ramak Harni Bashem, Rahav Pi Alivai, Kisamati Nishuatecha. Just a word about biblical poetry. There's parallelisms in the structure. You know, she has three different types of joy. Alatz Livi Bashem, my heart was happy with God. Ramak Harni Bashem, Karen is where you would be a horn if you had one, but the top of your head, right? Rachav Pielavai, and her mouth opens against her enemies because I'm so grateful for your Yeshua. Now, Rashi actually says here, if you take a look, if you could see the Rashi, Penina is her enemy. And that's a little bit difficult. We did talk about the role of Penina and Perak Aleph. And Penina is a complicated situation. And it's hard to say that Penina is her enemy, but that is what Rashi says. But if we take it to the next level, and Hannah is not like a simple person, and she's not a vindictive person, she's she's a person who is very great. And this say 
this is how I open, raised my head and my mouth opened wide. And this is the great uh, description of a happy person, whereas before she was depressed. And she's grateful for God's Yeshua. Now, this is a recognition about how um, God is going to give her Yeshua and the Yeshua of other people who need, uh, who need help. And Bezrat Hashem, we should hear Yeshua from everyone who needs and the third level, so I don't have the Targum in front of in front of you here, but you could you could trust me on this one. And that is that um, second. Just put this up a little bit. In Pasuk Aleph, you know, let me just go through the Pasukim here so you could just get a sense of how broad the uh, Targum's interpretation is. Basically, the way that she wrote work great, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, and then she turns to who would be listening, and she says, you know, God can do anything. He can make rich people poor. He can make uh, hungry people fed. He can make a woman who has no children have children. God can do anything. So while that's a personal salvation for her, there's also the general salvation of nations, of groups of people. But the Targum takes each part of the reversals that she talks about and places it in context with a particular event in history that hasn't happened yet. And Pasuk Aleph is the Plishtim. If you take a look, because I don't want to spend too much time on this, I'll just show you. Pasuk Aleph is the Plishtim. Pasuk Bet, <coughs> where she says, En Kadosh Kashem Kein Biltecha, God as the rock. Um, and that's the, the great miracle that happened with, at the time of Hizkiyahu, how Sanchev's troops were completely destroyed in the morning. They were all dead. And then verse three, which talks about the arrogant people being, you know, uh, speaking haughtily. That's Nebuchadnezzar, about the bows of the, of the mighty being broken. That's the Greeks in the Hanukkah story, about the wealthy people becoming poor. That's Haman Mordechai. You see how it's, it's unbelievable. She talks about the, the barren women having children. That's the children of Israel who go into Gullis and, and the Romans who are so powerful. And then it goes on, verse above, about the Tchiesamesim and the next few verses about um, the end of days and the last passage talking about the, the final days and the Milchamit Gogu Magog. So you see that... Um, According to Tyrone she's prophesizing the whole sweep of Jewish history. It's quite incredible. I'm going to go back to the verses and go through them quickly. So here she's expressing the joy of her salvation. There's no one as holy as God. There's no one like you. And there's no tzur. There's no rock like God. Now, Rashi's Rashi's version here is something very, very uh, worthwhile to take note. He says, ain't sur kelokeinu? He says, ain't sayar kelokeinu? There's no artist like a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Why? Hatsar tzura betok tzura. Here you have an artist who can make one form within another form, right? You create something inside of something else. And this is a beautiful reference to pregnancy. How can it be that a human being that God created can within them have another creation? And that is the greatness of a Baruch Hu. I think it's a very, very beautiful explanation. 
And one of the first lessons that we get from um, Hannah's filah is the greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, acknowledging the greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. By the way, the Malvim and the Barbanel, this is very, there's so much to the Shiva, and I really can't spend too much time on it, but the, Bar- the Malvim and the Barbanel use these verses to refute uh, pagan philosophies, like the 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 idea in this in this one would be that you know you think okay God made the world but then he doesn't care what happens he says no God as an artist has always got his finger on the pulse and then the next one plus a gimel al tarbu tadabu gavoa gavoa getzea sakvipi don't be so haughty don't talk so much big stuff. Yetzei Asak Asak will translate as falsehood because God knows everything and he's the one who organizes everything. So don't talk so much. That's what the Targum says in the Nebuchadnezzar who, who thought he ran the world. And the, the Malb and the Barbanel say that this is the philosophy that thinks that God is way up high and doesn't care what happens to people. But Hannah refutes that. Hannah says, no, he's the God of Hashgach HaPratis. And one of the themes of this Shira is Hashgach HaPratis. The bow of the mighty is smashed, and the weak ones are girded with strength. So this is a reference also to um, the mighty becoming weak and the weak becoming mighty, that the Targum says that's that's the Hanukkah story. But in her case, that's the most obvious. means God controls the, the plot, so to speak. God has got his finger on the pulse. And God, if he wants the strong ones to win, the strong ones will win. If he wants the weak ones to win, the weak ones win. We have seen this in our own uh, lives. We've seen this in, in, you know, miraculous wars in Israel 48. We go to Pasakei. Those who have many bread have to hire themselves out to work. And those who are hungry stop being hungry. Even a woman who had no children has seven. And the woman who has many is forlorn. Now, this, this particular part of the Shira describes the portion of the change for herself. But we have a little bit of a problem here because she did not have seven children. She has Shmuel, and then she has five more. We'll see further on in this parak. So that's actually six. And the Rabat Banim would she doesn't, you know, she's prophesizing here. She wouldn't want that to happen. But the Medrash says, and this is one of the answers to the question of the number seven. Some people say it's just seven. Seven is just a number. And we're just having the sense of like many, right? But the Medrash says that every time Hannah had a child, Penina lost two. Penina had 10. And after Hannah had four children, she became again. And Penina said, please pray for me. And Hannah prayed for her. Those two lived. So they were added on to her count. It's a very sad and uh, upsetting medrash, but that's what it is. Okay. We mentioned last time that it says, when you hurt other people, it's an immutable law of nature that it's going to be a difficult problem for you. That seems to be reference to this world. The next world. This is already where the, the Shiva turns into a more messianic thing. 
God brings down uh, from the grave and brings up. Halavai for all who need the Yeshuas and Refuas. Pasuk Zayin Hashem Marishu Mashpir Hashem Marishu Mashir Mashpil Achmiromeim. Hashem makes people poor. He makes them wealthy. He brings them down. Even brings them up. And in Pasuk Chet, make him Mefardal. He. This is the. Um, elaboration of those ideas. He takes a poor person from the dust. He takes it now. Evion is even a lower level than a really Nebuch, right? Oh, the, the gate that go that that's where the city. That's where we go in, right? To bring them to sit with princes. And giving them a seat of honor. And the, many people say this is a reference to Yosef. And even it could be also to Esther. Because to God are the oppressed of the land, and he puts the world on them. There's two explanations for this. Both are very beautiful. One is that those who are mitzukim, those who, you know them, they're all around you, the people who suffer so much, those are the people, the sad, poor people. Those are the people the world rests on. And God put the world on them. In other words, the way we treat our poor and downtrodden, that's how the world runs. So those people are important people. The other explanation is Mitsuke Eretz are the tzaddikim, that God rests the world on the tzaddikim. And Tet... He guards the feet of his righteous ones, and those um, evil ones are silenced in the dark. The Malbim goes into a beautiful discussion here about how Hasidim, the, the pious ones of God, walk in light, the light of Torah, the light of mitzvot. Perfect for Alagba Omer, walking in the light of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, but the people who don't have that lighter. They're in the dark and they're going to stumble. They don't have, it's passive, yidamu. God doesn't even have to do anything because they don't have light. They're going to be falling. Man does not um, overcome by power. And I think that's the main message of her shira. Everything is up to Kaddish Baruch Hu. And if you daven, if you put your whole heart and soul into your davening, if you ask a Kaddish Baruch Hu for something that you really want, if you daven with all your heart, he can turn everything around. It's not about who's stronger or wealthier or, you know, more, more well-known or more wealthy. It's only about what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants to do. Because all sorts of things with Hashem's help. Now, Pasekut is considered the tefillah. Hashem will smash those who fight against him. He will thunder against them from the sky. He will judge the edges of the earth, give strength to his king, and uh, raise the horn of his anointed one. This is understood by everybody to be referenced to the life of Shmuel. As we go through the Sefer, you'll see some of these things. He smashes those who, who, who fight uh, him. This is the reference to the wars that Shmuel brings. He thunders against them. From the sky, chapter 7, verse 10, it specifically says that he judges the end of the earth. Shmuel was the first circuit judge. He was the first Kirov rabbi. He went all around helping people, give strength to his king, that's Shaul, and raise the horn of his anointed one, that's David. That's her prayer, and that's a very 
the first section probably should belong with chapter one. Anyway, let's go on to the story of the sons of Eli. Elkan and Hanukkah go home, they leave Shmuel to be raised by Eli. And he's serving Hashem in the face of Eli Akohen. Many interpretations of Hashem, many explanations, but Rashi says, Mikan, the Shamesh Pene Tamide Chachamim, Shamesh Pene Hashkina. If you serve and take care of and help a Tamachacham, it's like you're serving Kadashbarhu. And what's the word here? You can sit and learn Torah from a book, but if you see someone who is a living, walking, breathing Torah, how much more can you learn? And um, that's why people spend time following great people around. I just think of my, my husband and his grandfather, he followed him around wherever he could and asked him whatever he wanted. So we have that first point of reference, Shmuel, is in place, the surrogate son, and he's going to be learning from Eli. But, and the sons of Eli were the sons of evil. It's as if they didn't have this tzaddik of a father. It's as if they were sons of evil. What does Blial come from? Blial comes from without a yoke of heaven. They didn't know God. They didn't care about God. In this instance, it's law they made for themselves. Now, to understand the sons of Eli, I think you remember back in Parak Aleph that only Elkanah went up to Shiloh. And Elkanah tried to get other people to come to Shiloh. We'll talk about the Kormanot for a minute. It's important to understand that for this section. People would come with their karbanot, and there was a process. If you look at the beginning of Ayikra, maybe Parakimo, first the animal is slaughtered. Then the blood is sprinkled on the altar. Then the fats are smoked, that is the incense. Then the meat is given out portions to the Kohen, and the portions the Kohen was entitled to were the shok and the chazeh. The shok is the, the calf, the leg, and the chazeh is the breast. So there was a specific portion that was allotted to the Kohen. But here, the sons of anyone who's sacrificing, and he would come while they're cooking the meat, right? Which I would assume, I, I don't quote me on this, but I would assume that the meat that was taken aside for the for the Kohen is already done. And now they're up to the, the feast part and they're cooking the meat for themselves. And he comes with this masleg shloshashinayim. Now I wanted to, I hope I have that. Okay. All right. This did not survive. This did not survive. But anyway, the picture in that mikra. Oh, here it is. Here it is. A little bit up. 
Can you see it? The Das Mikva makes a picture that looks, oh dear, where to go? Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know if you saw it, but it was really just there for a second. It's a pitchfork, it's a massive fork. And this is what they come with, this big fork, right? And it's got three teeth, Pasuk Four types of pots. Now you understand that people brought different size animals, some would bring a sheep, some with a cow, some with a goat. And according to the size of the animal and the meat that they're cooking, that would be the size of the pot. And what was the thing that they did? He would come and he would bang on the pot, probably to loosen up the meat that's cooking. And he would bring up a chunk with his fork. You know, a fork that size could bring up a very large chunk of meat. And whatever came up on that fork, that's a coin took it with that fork. That is what they did to anyone who came to Shiloh. Now we have to roll back our minds and say, oh, this is a serious abuse. If you come to bring your carbon and you have a certain, there's a certain order to the to the sacrifice, there's a certain amount that you give to the Kohen, and along they, they come, the kid, they send their kid, and they take it. So this is essentially a Beinam Mohaberu sin, which is called theft, taking what's not what doesn't belong to you. This is also an undertone of Beinamakum. And it gets worse. Pasik Tetvav. Now, also, this is sin number two, also before they smoked the fat, in other words, they have interrupted the process of the carbon. okay? Just picture that you are in the middle of your mitzvah, and you have steps one, two, three, four, and they come in the middle. Before the smoking of the facts, before the instance of and he says to the guy who's sacrificing, give meat for the Kohen to roast. I don't want you to You give me the meat now when it's raw, because the Kohen wants a barbecue. He's not interested in your cooked meat. So wait a second. First of all, I think that this is a correction that I'm making to myself. In other words, they normally would take the cooked meat. So let's say that sounds like it. But now they're going before the smoking of the facts, which is a ritual that's part of a, a certain order. And the kid comes along, the Nara Kohen, and says, give me up. And if you're the person who's sacrificing, what would you say? Pasik Tessayin. And this seems to have been a general sort of a, a, a general sort of reaction that they have. Let me just smoke the fat. Then take is whatever Now you give me you give it to me right now. If you don't give it to me, I'm going to take it by force. What on earth are you talking about? 
imagine being subjected to this kind of treatment when you go to give your car back. Not only do they take more than they need, they can interrupt the whole thing. But how, how would you feel if you're now in the middle of your car bun, you're, you, you're, you come with your family, it's a celebration, maybe it's a hug, maybe it's a private celebration, and you have all this going on, and it's a very spiritually uplifting situation, and all of a sudden, here comes all this kid who says, give me the meat now. I'm taking it anyway. It's just mind-boggling. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, now I wonder, why doesn't anyone go to Shiloh? Now, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Do people not come to Shiloh because the sons of Ailey are so obnoxious? Or do sons of Ailey become obnoxious because no one comes to Shiloh and they're hungry? Oh, you get one guy every month, you got to get whatever you can get from him because otherwise you have nothing to eat. They don't have fields, they don't have farms. So, this story is a little more complex than it looks, but bottom line, bottom line, there's ways of handling this that don't include theft and treating God's carbon as if it's your own personal thing. Now, the Ralbag here, oh, now the Ralbag here, the Ralbag says, this is his language, it's stuck in my mind because it was so intense. Samu shulchanam lefnei shulchan gavoa. Their table is more important than God's table. Now, obviously, God, it's not God's table, and God is not going to eat this meat. But the point is that they're acting as if the whole point of this exercise is to give us food. The whole point of this exercise is to give us as much food as we want. What do we care? Now, we spoke about it, Parakal, we spoke about things that happen at holy sites that can be a turnoff. Sometimes people push. I mean, I don't have to go further. It's like over today. It's it, you know, there are things that go on in any of these uh, you know events where it can be very, very disturbing. But here, the koanim are part of an organized, systematic bizarre contempt of the carbonate. And the people are just saying, no, 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 I don't care what you mean. Say, just let me do it right. They won't. But to he, arim, od. And Pnei Hashem, like, really? Oh, I'm sorry, but I did not want to skip today, even though I'm in New York. But it's not my computer. It's giving me a little heartache. Okay. Sorry. Okay. And the sin of the Jews was very great before God because they despise the offering of God. Okay, Pasikhet Ushmuel, the Shavaitit Pene Hashem, Nar Hagur Efol Bad. Sharp contrast to the sons of Eli, the true blood sons of Eli, and all the difficult ways that they behave. And all of a sudden, we go back to Shmuel. We're serving Hashem. Amy's not in the picture anymore. Shmuel's become independent. And he's belted around with an aphode. And the aphode, I lost that page, that picture of an aphode for you all. So the aphode has two different uh, kind of things about how, um, how the aphode looked. So 
the Ramban saw it as kind of a tunic with was sleeveless and, and Rashi thought it was a, uh, a shirt with sleeves. We don't know exactly what the Afro looked like, but suffice it to say that it was a regulation Kohen clothing. Many times it will be in word also. But here it's a measure of a greatness. You don't wear that, you know, as a um, an ordinary citizen. So now we have the greatness of Shmuel contrasted with the sons of Eli. And it's, it's quite dramatic. And um, by the way, one of the things we learn from this whole thing that's going on in Shiloh, we learn to appreciate the greatness of Elkanah, right? And this is something we have to think about, even though so much bad stuff is going on. Elkanah never let it stop him. And not only did he not let it stop him, he encouraged other people to go. And he created a whole movement of people coming up. And that was like an incredible thing, especially when they would come up and, and be taken advantage of. And now, Hannah. Hannah still loves her son. She's still connected. imo. And his mother would make him a little coat. Whenever she would go up with Elkanah for the sacrifices of the festivals or whatever they were going up for, she would bring him a little coat. And we see here that her love for her son continues, her care about him. And the me'il is something very significant. There's two ways that you can look at the me'il. Number one, he's kind of small for a fode at the beginning. So it could be that she made him a child-sized aphode because he became, he was a prodigy and became great very, very early on. And the Medrash also says that he always appeared with him eel. And in fact, in chapter 28 of Shmuel, when the ghost of Shmuel appears, he's wearing that coat. That coat went with him all the way. And Eli gives her another bracha. You remember back in the first chapter, Eli gave her a bracha that Hashem should fulfill her request. He says, now Hashem should give you other children instead of instead of the loan that you loaned to God and they will go to his place. That's a very, very difficult phrase. And they will go to his place. What's going on here? I, you know, after looking through all of the first of my, my favorite was the Abarbanel. The Abarbanel says they will go to his place. In other words, the place of Shmuel. Shmuel, as the oldest son, right? He would be the one to be helping his mother and his father. But now she's going to have other children who are going to go to the place of Shmuel because Shmuel is growing up with God. Because Hashem remembers Hannah and she has five more children. How amazing. Three sons and two daughters. This woman who was childless for 20 years gives birth altogether to six children. And here the contrast is not between 
the sons of Eli and Shmuel, but between Shmuel and his siblings. They're there with Elkanah and Hannah, three sons and two daughters, but Shmuel is growing up with God. And now Eli comes into the picture. The Eli Zakein Ma'od. Now, generally speaking, when we say someone is a the 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 Mishnah says the you know shivim shivim is the regular. This is also in in Tilim, right? The normal lifespan is seventy, and if they're really strong, then they can get to eighty. Think of old age. Eli is probably about 80. We have to go backtrack a little bit because when Eli becomes a Kohen Gadol, that's the time it says for Eli Yashav in Perak Aleph. And there, if we go extrapolate back the numbers that we know, but Eli, he was about 58, which means that Shmuel was 59. Uh, I'm sorry, Eli was 59 when Shmuel was born. And if Eli is 80, we're saying Shmuel is about 21 years old at this point. And he hears for everything that they're doing to the people who come. And here we have sin number three, and this requires some discussion. And how they slept with the women who congregated at the entrance to Olamoed. And oh no, what did we just say? We just said the sons of Ailey slept with the women who came to Shiloh. Now, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, number one, kimashma'o, literally, yeah, there they were. Not only were they stealing food and they were interrupting the bat, they were sleeping around with the women who came. But Rabbi Tainu Amru, all right, now this is the Gemara and Shabbos, which I prepared for you, and I hope this works because I'm very nervous when I change the screen share. Rabbi Yonatan, this is a famous passage in Gemara and Shabbos, which starts talking about the sins of all these great people and saying, what's exactly the sin that you think it is? And it's not exactly what the, what the Tanakh said it is. If you think that sons of Ailey were sleeping with the women, no, you're mistaken, right? There, this is Paragal Gimel. Do you think they could have done that? And Rob says, no, Pinchas didn't do it for sure not because Pinchas was there with the with the Pinchas is given the Yifas when his children become common and we go back to Pinchas. So, like, how could it be? And Pinchas didn't say that, Hafni didn't say it either. What we do with this just sin, they slept with the women. And the Gemara says they kept their um, uh, this is a reference to a bird nest, a can, can sipur. Okay, not to get into this too deeply, I will explain. Let's go back here. A little nervous that I don't lose the text. Okay. Women, who are the women who come to Pesachomoid? Okay, this we have this discussion back in, uh, it's actually coming up soon, right? Parshas Vayaka, Parshas Bikude. In Bayaka specifically, we talk about the Marat Hatsovo, the mirrors, the mirrors of the women that congregated 
at the entrance to all might. And there, the, the, the Farshim have different explanations who these women are. Basically, the kind of women who go to Olmay, they're, they're mostly uh, righteous women, right? They're women who come as people who are women who are older. They come to pray. They come to, to um, offer things. Or there are young women who have children. And after they have a baby, one of the rituals they have to go through in order to go back to their husbands is they have to give a sacrifice, okay? Now, if they give a sacrifice, right? The point is, once you go through childbirth, you might have said things in childbirth that you would regret, like, don't ever touch me again, right? Whatever it is you say, but they have to bring carbon. Now, the carbon is not like a, you know, it's not like a cow, it's like a bird offering. And it's possible that the sons of Ailey didn't get too excited about like, you know, I don't want a chicken, I want a, I want a barbecue. So they left these women and they didn't take care of their sacrifices. And this could happen later and later until the women were forced to sleep over. Now, if the women slept over, they could not be going back to their husbands. They couldn't be going, you know, to be together with their husbands. And therefore, the text says, you kept these women from being with their husbands. It's as if you slept with them. You separated them from their husbands. Very strong language, but these are people who should know better. And that is how Chazal understand. Now, I understand that's a very difficult concept, but I just want to give you a reason to say that this medrash makes sense. And that is, this is never mentioned again. And all the sins of Ailey and all the punishments that happen, this is never mentioned again. It's sort of like an aside. And if you look at the structure of the Pesach, it makes sense because Ailey's very old and he hears what his sons did to everyone. And even that they slept with the women. He's hearing rumors. It's, it gets to the point where like everyone's talking about the sons of Ailey and the horrible they are. And you could basically, when they're so evil, you could say anything you like about them. And everyone's saying, yeah, yeah, yeah because you could believe anything about people who are making so much trouble. But Ailey comes to them with his rebuke, and he says, Why are you doing this stuff? I like these things that I'm hearing. I hear like all this kind of bad stuff from everybody. People are talking about you. It's Ailey's almost just going on for a while. Why are you here now? It seems like perhaps, I think the mom suggested that this this sin was so awful, right? Let me just check. Yeah, this is the Malbim. He says that this sin was so terrible that he sat up and said, well, I don't have to speak to them. This is terrible. Why are you doing this kind of bad stuff? Right? Uh, you know, don't do that. It's not a good thing I'm here It's not a good thing. You, we, we can look at it. What are you saying, Ailey? It's not nice, guys. You know, it's not nice. We're doing one who like just get with the program. Now, I have to say this. Ailey is ultimately responsible for what happens in the Mishkan. He's the Kohen Gadol. He thinks Hannah's drunk and he screams at her. Why don't you put a stop to this? Why don't you take them from their position? Why don't you say, this can't happen in my Mishkan. You guys have to you know, go away, get your act together, and I'm hiring someone else. There are other people who could come into this position. And here, like, Ailey is at fault. This is what we call in America, the buck stops here. 
But the, the next pasuk is very disturbing. Pasuk Hav Gimel. I'm sorry, Pasuk Hey. There we go. Right, okay. Hav Hey. Im yechta ish l'ishapil lo elokim. Ve'im l'shem yechta ish mit palelo. At least it's not like, you know, if you have an argument between people or if somebody, you know, has a problem with another person, God can like help things. But if your sin is to God, like who, who's going to help you? Like God is your adversary. They wouldn't listen to Ailey because God wants to kill them. And that's why I said this is a very, very disturbing question. It seems, first of all, that Ailey's rebuke is too little, too late. But it seems like they can't do tshuva. Hashem doesn't want them to do tshuva. And that goes against everything we always, ever learn. And in the Cheskel, it says, God says, I don't want the person to die. I want him to live. I want him to do tshuva. How can they be saying this? So we can think of another example where God would not let a certain person do tshuva. And God hardened his heart, and that was Parab. So there's a few explanations for this. One here, Rashi says, right, Shekvar Nechtam Gezar Din. It's too late. Before, right, Kozim Shekvar Gezar Din, Neemar Bicheskel Yedchet, Kiloach Botsvimotamet, which we just said, right? In other words, it's too late. Their decree is out against them. And that's what the Gemara says. But I will raise the point here that why? Why is Hashem lowering the boom and it gets really, really disturbing? If you think about it, that's because if an ordinary person in the shul does something wrong, let's say, okay, he's a sinner. If the rabbi sins, what happens then? The people have no one to look to. The people say, oh, it's all fake. It's the biggest hell Hashem. If the Kohen, if the Kohen is such a terrible person and is only in it for his own, you know, uh, satisfaction, the, the, the food that he gets and the, and the power that he can control people, if the leadership is corrupt, it's the biggest hell Hashem. It has to be stopped. Because Hashem is saying, I need to make an example. Just as Hashem made an example of Parah, Hashem says, I need to make an example of these sons of Bailey. Cannot go on. Very, very sad. Their, their doom is sealed. And Shmuel is just getting this Holech Vigadil means as he gets bigger, it gets better. Also with God, also with people. And the Bible says, Who are the people that he gets along with? He's such a tzaddik and he's growing, getting better. By the way, I, my son Shmuel, I put this pasuk on his our mitzvah invitation. Holech Vigadil Bato. And now the last part of this parak, the most sad part. Right? 
didn't I come? And don't forget, the Midrash says this Elkanah, so there's something very ironic here. And comes down and said, didn't I reveal myself to your forefathers in Egypt back in the day? I chose your forefather to be my Kohen. And look what honor I gave him to go up on the Mizbeach, to be Matthew Ketoret, to wear the aphod, to give to the house of his father all the offerings of the children of Israel. So much honor for the Kohen. You live Otis to kill you, kept my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded in my home. That's a chabedet many. You gave more honor to your children than to me. Lahavriachem, you fattened yourselves. May Rashid call Minchat Israel. You took from the first part, that's reference to the before the sacrifice. You took the first part, you fattened yourselves, right? Lachem, Pasuk Lamed. Neum Hashem al Israel. Amor Amarti, Beitcha, Beitavicha, Yitzhalchul Fanayar Ulam. I have said, you guys, you're going to walk before me forever. But now, no Hashem. Halilali. Halilali. Different explanations of Halila, but it's 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 whole. It can't be like that. It's not Kodesh. My judgments are true. Those who honor me honor. Those who treat me with contempt will be treated with contempt. Again, like like in the Shira, the ones that uh, the wicked people will be silenced in the dark. Those people who have contempt for me, they will be treated lightly. It's not. It's it's um it's a natural. Progression, that's how it's going to be. I can't give you honor anymore. This is very sad. Okay, um, there are three main curses that happen here. The curse of the house of Eli. And they're expressed here, they're elaborated in the last few psukim. We're running out of time. I gave them the, what, what's really going on. Aaron had four sons. Not that I never you died. We just had that a few parishes ago. There's Elazar and Itamar. And Elazar is older than Itamar, and he becomes the Kohen Gadol, and his son Pinchas is the Kohen Gadol. At a certain point, Hashem is angry with Pinchas, probably because of what happened with the daughter of Yiftach, and takes the Kahuna Gadola. And it reverts to the family of, of Itamar. And Eli is the descendant of Itamar. Now, Hashem says, okay, once I took it away from Elazar's children, it's going to go to Itamar, who's going to stay there, but now you lost it. And it's going to revert back to the family of Elazar. Now, this is going to happen way in the future, in the time of David, late in the time of David, when Eviatar is the Kohen, who is from the descendant of Eli. And it's going to be given over to Tzadok, who's a descendant of Pinchas. But that's meant in the future. But basically, the days are coming. This is the prophecy. I am going to cut off your arm. What does an arm symbolize? Power. I'm cutting off the arm of the house of your feet, your father, from being an elder in your house. Now, Zakain, we have two meanings for Zakain. Zakain could be an old person or it could be Zeshakanachachma, an elder, a wise person. 
In this pasuk, we're going to lose the power that you had as Kohen Gadol, and you will not be anymore the old one of the house. But, I'm in bed, but you're not going to be able to retire and move to Timbuktu. No. You're going to be a Kohen in my house. You're going to see the Tsar, like we had Benina. You're going to see the rival in my house, in my own. Everyone's going to be set happy. God's going to be good. This is referencing the time of Shlomo. And you are going to be working in the Mishkan and you're going to be miserable because you're not Kohen Gadol anymore. You're rival Kohen and Kohen Gadol. You're going to be, have to be there and watch it. And the third part of the curse, the first part being, you're not going to be Kohen Gadol anymore. The second part being, but you're going to be Kohen and you're going to watch the other Kohen Gadols. And number three, no one of your children will ever grow old. Horrific curse. Horrific. And the rest of this is elaboration, according to the Malbim. I'm not going to let you walk away from my mispeach, to consume your eyes, to make you miserable. And the majority of your children, and they're not going to die as babies. They're going to die as young men. And this is the sign. Now, Eli is not going to live to see this because, like I said, it happens much later in the time of David when the kahuna goes from Eviatar of the house of Eli to Tzadok, the house of Elazar. But you're going to know it's going to come true because Chafni and Pinchas are going to die on the same day. I'm going to raise for myself a Kohen. This is referencing Sadok, who's going to be with my heart and with my soul. He's going to do what I want. And I'm going to build him a faithful house, in reference to the Beisamikdash. He's going to go before the anointed one, the descendants of David, all the days. All those who are left in your house. Anyone who's left in your house is going to have to come on to the other Kohen Gadol's and to bow down to him for an agora, for a coin, for a loaf of bread. And he's going to say, just add me on. Add me on to one of the Mishmaroda. Help, let me help and do something because I need, I need some food. I have no bread. So, <sighs> Parak Bet ends on a very, very disturbing note. I want to point out here, okay, first of all, everything that God does is Mida connected Mida. And all of these, all of these terrible curses are going to take away the power. You say today, you abuse it, you lose it. If you have power as a Kohen and you don't treat people right, you don't treat the kahuna right, you lose it. The fact that you have to watch your rival, right, that's going to teach you humility. It teach you. You were great. You lost it by your own corruption. And the fact that all the descendants of Eli die young, because you didn't wait. You didn't wait till your portion came. You jumped the gun. You went too early, and that's the Mida Kenegan Mida. And it's an interesting thing that the parak sort of 
goes back to what Hannah's talking about in her song. She's saying, you could be up and go right down. You could be down and come right up. And this is what we're seeing. We're seeing the Kohanim Gedolim, and they're going down. And this is a terrible, horrific, um, horrific punishment for the house of Aaron. Something for us to think about, right? How much a who can change people's fortunes for the bad and for the good. Bezrat Hashem, we should only hear the good things. And I'm, I'm sorry to end on a sad note, but we have to remember that in a certain sense, this is a, a handicap for the house of Ailey. And that's a very disturbing story, but it's, it's like, if you think of it as a handicap, in other words, they are now starting their lives in what you call in Israel, they have to work harder to get to a better place. And they do, many of them do, and we'll talk about it, about it. But to remember that, number one, that a coach who can do anything, he can take someone in the depths of the depths and bring them to the heights of the heights, and the other way around. And we have to remember that, you know, when we are dealing with other people, when we're dealing with the, the uh, you know, that that's that's where we uh, we get judged. Our Kaddish Baruch can make those decisions decisions about what's going on. Okay, so I think that we have that we'll stop here, and I'm going to stop the screen share. If anyone has any questions, hello. I know this is a little bit of a sad parak and uh, some tough stuff there. But um... not a question, but um, I think recently, in recent years, um, there was a story of a person who was a coin who died young. Um, and it was out of the blue with nothing. And it's assumed that some of these Kohanim that died out of the blue might have been from the law of Ailey, that it continues till today. It's a very, 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 um, it's kind of an awful thing. That's why I said you have to think of it as a handicap. In other words, to think of like a whole, you know, group of people descended from the same people having this hanging over them is very terrible, very disturbing. So that's why I say we're going to talk about it more in Paragimel. By the way, Paragimel is, is wonderful, even though this one is a little bit of a downer. But Paragimel has some wonderful stuff in there. But when we get to a further discussion of this story, you'll see that that it's, it's like I said, it's a handicap. It's like the people who were descendants of the house of Ailey knew that they had to work much harder than everyone else to overcome the difficulties that they um, inherited and um we will talk about it next time some really great midrashim about it